0: I was struggling at that moment. I have recurring depression and that kind of came for me and I couldn't do it. It was not that much work. It was that I was scared. I was scared to take those very final steps. Every single day I woke up and I said to myself, you're failing at this. This is failure. You could stop right now and nothing would ever happen and this whole thing would just die away.
1: When were you called crazy? Welcome to Crazy Mighty Ladies, a show about the courage that exceptional women embody when they're called crazy for the choices they've made. I'm your host, Jingjing Tan. Today, I talked to Robin L. Garrett, who quit her safe corporate job to start her leadership technology business. Robin has had decades of experience in leadership roles. And a year ago, she decided to quit her job to start her own business beamably a leadership company for teens and students. She takes on a more authentic and courageous approach to leadership. Today, she writes, coaches, and runs a TikTok channel called Courageous Leadership, where she shares authentic, people-first leadership advice. So I guess
0: one would probably describe me as a bit of a bossy child. I did a lot of creative things as a child. So I was doing art and music and drama, a lot of different things like that. And what I really loved was doing different things, new things, new experiences. I'm the type of person where... If I have to choose between doing something that I've done before and doing something that's new, I will usually do the thing that's new because I I find it kind of exciting to be in that discovery process. So that was me as a kid. I did so many things. When I was little, I did sports, plays, karate. And then when I got to be a teenager, I was really focused a lot in the arts and I had a lot of leadership positions there. I definitely was drawn towards leadership. I was the type of person who I would come into an activity and take it over. And at the time, I was probably (laughs) fairly aggressive about it. But what that translated to in my later life and in my career was, I was just interested in bringing things together, bringing people together. And I was also really interested in how do we make things better? How do we make things better for the people? And how do we make whatever it is processes products something how do we improve it if
1: there's an opportunity to improve something i just i'm so tempted by it absolutely i think leadership manifests in a couple of ways and oftentimes women who embody leadership are called bossy when the reframing of it is we want it to have better changes, better processes, more effective outcomes. And I wanted to actually transition us a little bit into your professional career. So how did you first transition into a management or a leadership role?
0: Yeah, I became a manager at 22 years old. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was, I guess it was not surprising, but it was definitely an experience. So I, Graduated from college in 2008, and it was an interesting time then. So I remember going on so many job interviews, going on some interviews that were frankly sort of predatory, trying to take advantage of candidates because it was such a difficult time economically. But eventually I did start a job, and my background was in English literature, so I had been looking for an editing job. And this job was sort of a hybrid between project management and editing. And that was what I was responsible for. But if you fast forward, maybe 12 months, I was running multiple publications. I was sort of the de facto editor in chief of those publications. And this was a time when digitalization was still sort of a foreign idea for businesses. They knew they needed to do it, but there were not people, certainly not at this organization who knew how to do it. So I was very passionate about that. So the next thing I know, I am head of digital, head of the web division for this organization and just trailblazing away, trying to push through as much change and as many new things as possible. It was a lot of responsibility. So I have always taken responsibility like that very seriously. And so you asked about, was I drawn to coaching? I am not a coach. I don't consider myself to be a coach. I only really, I do coaching with people that I mentor and I do it on special request, but I've always felt that it was extremely important for me to think about the people around me. When you're a leader, you're not just, it's not a position of privilege. Many people think of it that way is that you have all these people at your service, right? But I pretty aggressively practice servant leadership. I had a really wonderful mentor who I still work with and I still really appreciate who taught me a lot about what servant leadership could mean. Mm-hmm. And that continued to shape me. So I had all of this energy, my bossy energy that I had brought with me from my childhood and my natural personality. And what I've done is try to shape it to be as helpful as possible. I want to do good things. I want to make, not not make a difference in the sense that I want things to be all about me, but I want things to be as good as they can possibly be. I want to see positive change. Mm,
1: I love that. I love your framing of servant leadership. And for listeners who might not know what that entails, can you give us a little bit of insight into what is servant leadership?
0: Yes. So servant leadership, there is a, a formal definition, but the The gist of it is it's sort of upside down compared to what you would think of traditionally. So a traditional leader is a person who sits at the top. They make all the decisions and everybody leads up to them. So all of their ideas, all of their efforts, it all goes up towards the leader to benefit the leader. In servant leadership, it's flipped. So you have a wider crop of people who are generating ideas, who have power, and the leader is at the base of that. And the leader's job really is to make sure that each person has what they need to be successful. Are they safe? Do they have resources? Are they okay? Do they know everyone? Do they know what to do? So it's really a support role. And I think in the last 20 years that servant leadership hasn't just become sort of a niche topic. It's really become necessary because the pace of change is so rapid that businesses who think they can just have a couple people in these privileged positions, making decisions for gigantic organizations and the public at large. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of it's putting yourself in denial. It's impossible for a tiny number of people to do that. You have so many perspectives. You have so many different opportunities out there. If you are just keeping all that power up at the top, you're really cutting yourself off at the knees. You're denying yourself the opportunity for more.
1: Absolutely. And so it sounds like servant leadership is empowering people to do what they do best. And the leader is really behind the scenes to facilitate, to make sure every team member has what they need.
0: Yeah. It's not about me. It's about them. What can I do for them? That's one of the questions that I always ask in small groups and individually is, what do you need from me?
1: What can I do for you? Absolutely. So thinking back, you were 22 years old, you just became the editor in chief. This is your first leadership position. And back then, were you using servant leadership as a lens to lead? Or was it a different flavor?
0: No, I didn't know that. And actually, this is a great question because I made a lot of mistakes back in those days. And one of the mistakes was I emulated people that I thought or that I had seen in my life that were in leadership positions. So something that I did in my early career that I absolutely do not do anymore is try to operate from a position of strength. I took the responsibility of caring for others seriously, of them being under my umbrella, seriously. But I was much harsher in those days. And another thing that was sort of a toxic learned behavior was I was very serious about keeping work and life separate. I had this delusion. Hmm that at work, I wasn't a person. I was a worker, that I could turn off all my emotions, that I could turn off everything else about my life and just go, 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 like push with raw energy. And I think there are people that I could have helped more, people that I could have served much better if I had had some of the skills that I learned later in my career. But for me, it was a gradual process. And I worked in professional services, which can be harsh environments and I worked in startups again these are harsh environments the truth is that people perform much better and are much healthier when they feel good i did a poll recently and i asked do people perform better when you scold them or when you praise them and 96% of people said praise and i i think that's very true but it's a very underused leadership skill people are so much more quick to shame or to scold. And it's a learned behavior. People are doing that because they've seen it happen before. That's what they're used to. That's what role models have been available to them. So when we think of these authoritative figures, we don't necessarily think of someone who's supportive. We often think of someone that's a little bit harsh.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel that. And I think traditionally, when you think about leadership, that's the, the mental image that we have. And I think in the past couple of decades, that mindset has actually shifted. And it's so important now to have different styles of leadership, which you highlighted really, really well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what happened after? Were you in leadership positions consistently? What was your career trajectory after that? I've always been in leadership positions
0: since, and I've worked in a lot of startups. And if you've worked in the startup, you'll know this pattern. So I started in a couple of different startups. I was the ninth employee or the 16th employee at some of these organizations. The truth is there is a lot of opportunity there. And because I'm a person that likes a lot of variety and I like to improve things, I thrived in those environments. I've run every different type of department in a company that you could run, including finance, which is not my expertise. My expertise is in operations and really on the creative side, the product side. But because I've worked in so many startups, I've done many things. Looking back, now that I have my own company, those experiences have been extremely beneficial. But one thing that I want to do is pay it forward. I want people to feel more confident that they can choose to run their own business if they want to. And just because they don't have the types of role models available to them to show them how to do it, doesn't mean that it's impossible. A lot of what it takes to start your own business, your own enterprise is guts. And if you look at the types of people who have done it successfully, they often run on that bravery. I want more people to go for it. And I especially want people who have humility inside them to go for it, even though they may feel some imposter syndrome, they may feel that they're not good enough. Those are the people we need in leadership, and those are the people who have really valuable perspectives that could make products, services, all types of things to make this world a better place. We need to listen to them, and we need to give them the inspiration and the courage and the support to be able to do that.
1: I fully, fully agree with you that we need more variety of leadership styles, and humility is one of those really, really good qualities that a leader could have. So Robin, I'm curious, at what point did you decide to quit your corporate job, a very safe corporate job, in order to embark on something really courageous, in order to start your company. Tell me a little bit about at what point that idea started to manifest. So one thing
0: that I've always done is I've always worked with youth. So I've worked with teens, students, and young professionals. Early in my career, I ran new manager programs, taught them how to become new managers to help them learn from my mistakes and did a lot of training, coaching, developing. One thing that I wanted to do with my new company was I wanted to focus on youth, people who were early in their careers, who wanted to make a difference in the world, but needed support. They needed skills, role models, resources, workshops, opportunities to grow. So that's why I'm really pleased about my company. My company is Beamably. Our goal is to help people Get that courage, the courage that they need to change the world. And it was a process. That is how eventually the book came to be and the workshop that I'm working on now. They are essentially our first products. It's the first opportunity to get some of those resources out there into people's hands. The response has been so thrilling. I've gotten so many positive reactions and so many complimentary remarks. It's it's really exciting to see that actually happen. But that's been a learning experience for me too. You have to just go for it.
1: Have you always known that you've wanted to start your own business or was this more of a gradual process?
0: If you had rewound to some time in the past and told me I would start my own business, I would never believe you. <laughs> and honestly, it wasn't an epiphany moment. It was A gradual realization over time. I got to see how businesses worked. I got to see how startups went from just being a kernel of an idea or a tiny group of people in a tiny room with nothing to many, many millions of dollars in enterprise. That was an eye opening experience for me. And I realized it wasn't as hard as people make it out to be. There are some really important kind of gatekeepy things out there. One of them is access to capital, to to money, because it does take some money to start your own business. But you can do it. People can do it. You have an idea. And it's a lot of times about the pull through. Just getting out there and starting is the most important part.
1: Absolutely. And Robin, I really love the courage that you had at the time to make this big shift. You mentioned that you've had over time you started fostering this idea of, hey, maybe I could be starting my own business. What was the turning point that pushed you to make that happen? And what was that process like? So honestly,
0: it was burnout over the course of the pandemic and so many other things that have happened in the world and in my life, including putting my children through virtual school, which was probably akin to hell on earth if I was really to compare yeah. it. I was exhausted. So I was working as hard as possible to make things happen, to serve people who were under my purview, to grow things. That was something that really mattered to me. But it felt a lot like spinning my wheels. If I think about it, I think about the ideas that I had, the vision that I had, that what was important to me. My Values, those weren't being served. I was giving all my creativity away. I was giving all of my energy away. And so I made a decision that that was going to stop. I started reinvesting that creativity and that energy into my own idea, my own vision. And it's been life changing. It's been really exciting to be able to have time and to be able to just have the brain power to actually do something that's important to me.
1: As I'm hearing you say, all of that, a lot of it is resonating. You mentioned creativity, you mentioned energy, and those sounded like those were the values that you wanted to align your life towards. So tell me a little bit about how were you able to have the courage to take that step? It is not easy to be changing your career from something that is very stable, very comfortable, something that you know to something that is unknown, risky, and unstable. So what was that process like for you? And how did you find that courage to take that step?
0: So I am a creative person. And it's sort of funny for me to say that because I've actually never said that over the last many years. I was scared to say anything like that. I always was trying to be a business person. I was trying to be serious and organized. I practiced zero inbox, meaning there were no emails in my inbox ever. And what a silly thing to be proud of because it was actually just sucking up tons of my time. So something that I've realized as I've kind of made this break away is that I was molding myself in the extreme. I was taking all the good parts of me, but I was either tamping them down or restructuring them to make them palatable for the corporate environment. I was living in someone else's world and I was following their rules. As I've come to realize, I really have always been a creative person all the way back down to when I was a kid. I loved doing creative projects. So I was finding those opportunities, but they were very, very small and the majority of my time and my life was consumed by things that I wasn't excited about. So since kind of getting reacquainted with my creativity, I've discovered just how much I was changing myself to fit into those environments. I've had feedback in the past where they say, oh, it, sometimes it seems like you wear a mask. And at the time, I, I, I struggled to understand that. But as I look back at it now, it's absolutely true. It's not that I was doing it on purpose or because I was embarrassed or anything. It's because that's what I felt like I had to be. Hopefully people out there will understand that. the idea of maybe you have a work self. And so when you come to work, maybe your voice is different. Maybe the words you use are different. Obviously, most people dress differently. Those are all little costumes, little facades that we put on. And then we get into this topic of professionalism. Now that I've broken away, I can see professionalism for what it is. It's not a set of values that benefits all of humanity. It's a set of standards that restricts access to power and separates the powerful from the powerless. Mm -hmm. And that's just absolutely not what we need in this world. We need more people with access to power. I can see the creativity the value in every person and the people who have chosen to not see that and to restrict it tend to have a ton of power but that is rapidly shifting it's the people with the right perspective who are in touch with their real self they're more authentic they're driving off of a perspective that means something and that is real for people so it's not just this broad you know blandly colored nothingness that we all have to live with It can be full of vibrancy and personality. It can be real. And I want there to be so much more of that. And that's what I'm trying to encourage when I work with young professionals and students.
1: Hearing you talk about your journey made me realize that there were a lot of transformations that happened in that journey. It required transformation from something that you were comfortable with to something that is unknown, something that you know deep down is the right path, But it definitely took a lot of courage. How were you able to find that courage? Were you able to do that through journaling, through support systems? How were you able to gather enough courage to take that step?
0: So it'll sound funny, but I actually, the thing that allowed me to channel the creativity and the courage was design. One of the things that I started doing was I started to kind of craft a brand, a brand for my new organization. And through that process, I felt like I was able to kind of understand and articulate more. I started with trying to craft the brand. And and honestly, I even did it with the book. So when I decided to go for the book, one of the first things that I did was I didn't open up a Word document and stare at the blank page just to have it mock me, which is, which is what the blank page does. It's it's very good Absolutely. at mocking you. Yes, I actually started laying out, I think the cover might have been first, and some of the pages and what they could look like. I found the font that I liked. And I started structuring. Now my book is a workbook. And so it's meant to be interacted with. I started creating the different pages and what you would touch and how you would interact with it. And I actually did the copy last. I had sections blocked out for the copy. Now the book is based on a process that I had done for many years over a decade. So I was very familiar with what the flow was going to be. But that process of articulating it and laying it out was the thing that gave me the courage because I could see it becoming real and I could take the time that I needed to channel that to think about it. So I would do it late at night when everything was calm and quiet. Getting in there kind of with my hands, laying it out and starting to manifest it, make it real, that was a huge turning point for me. And as I could see it becoming real, you know, I'm certainly a person that struggles with imposter syndrome. I think most of us are. I think it's actually kind of more of a generational epidemic than it necessarily is a syndrome because it affects us all in kind of a broad way. One of the things that I was slightly embarrassed about was to call myself an author or even to say the phrase, I'm writing a book or I wrote a book because it didn't feel real. I didn't feel like I was really that person. But as I look back at it, I look at each one of the activities that I did. I look at the work I put into it, all of the research, the theory, the design, the writing. Those are very real. I had to tell myself, practice that phrase, practice saying it to people. I'm still practicing when somebody asks me a question like, what do you do? How I answer them, because I I still struggle to take myself seriously as someone who is off pioneering their own thing. It's very tempting to, to tamp down that description to make it as vanilla as possible, as opposed to kind of really own it and take pride in my bigger vision, my bigger goal.
1: I love that. So what I'm hearing from your story so far is even though calling yourself a writer was scary... It was not how you viewed yourself in the past. And so you've had to actually overcome your hesitation around that label first and call yourself a writer and also take actions to actually make that dream a reality. Would you say that those are the two most important things to overcome? First, overcome that label barrier for yourself, that identity shift, and second, to take action in small steps in order to make things a reality.
0: I would say the second one is the most important. And frankly, I would say that the first one, the self-perspective, is something that might take a long, long time. Just starting, doing something is transformative. If you've written 300 words, you have something on a page. You can no longer say, I'm not a writer because you wrote 300 words. That's not a lot of words, but it matters. And even if the project that you're working on transforms and transforms and transforms again, it never looks anything like that first draft. Having that little first piece created gives you something to build on. So that's what I would encourage. Whatever it is that you want to do, just start something. Start something that you can say, I have this. And having it is half the battle.
1: I'm curious. What was the most vulnerable moment in your process of creating a company? You were quitting your job. You were starting your own business. You were starting your own TikTok channel. You're writing a book. You're coaching and giving people advice. What was the most vulnerable moment thus far in that journey?
0: So it's confession time. There's a thing that happened Mm -hmm. that I'm not proud of, but it, it is very real. So I had finished the book. I finished it before Thanksgiving. And the next step was to just send it out for proofreading. And then the step after that was to make the proofreader edits and then to upload it and send the manuscript out there to be published. And I was struggling at that moment. So I had had a a nice couple of months where I was feeling highly energized, but I have recurring depression. And that kind of came for me in the winter months, as it often does. And I couldn't do it. It was not that much work. I'm sure people have experience with this. It wasn't a time thing. It wasn't that I didn't have the time to do those actions. It was, that it was that I was scared. I was scared to take those very final steps. I had written everything. I had done all of the layout. I had reviewed over and over again. And I had even sent it to the proofreader, paid the proofreading fees. I had the edits. I couldn't open the PDF with the edits. I was too scared. I didn't open that PDF until January. And every single day I woke up and I said to myself, you're failing at this. This is failure. You could stop right now and nothing would ever happen. And this whole thing would just die away. And I I actually didn't TikTok during some of that time either. There was a bit of a break, probably about a three-week break where I didn't create any new content. So part of what I think I had to do during that time is I had to say, I am experiencing a depressive episode. I am not in the right place at this moment to proceed with this project. That doesn't mean I'm not going to proceed with the project. I did feel like a failure. I was hard on myself every single day about it. But I had to recognize, even if it was sort of more in the back of my mind, that this is going to happen. I need to wait until I am in the right state. To be able to do it, I think this is something else about being a creative person. Expecting yourself to be at the peak of your creativity all the time is pretty unrealistic. I started to wonder what if instead of trying to flex myself so hard to do something that was so unavailable to me at that time, what if I took into account that I'm going to have waves of different feelings? I'm going to have surges of creative moments, and I'm going to have lulls where I don't have that feeling. So it was a long, difficult time. I needed to kind of rest my soul during those times. It didn't necessarily feel that restful. It felt rather stressful. Eventually, I was able to pull out of it. That's something that can happen with depression as you have a period of time. And then might gradually ease up. One of the first things that I did was I did another TikTok. And I think it was kind of a a silly one. That's something that's funny about TikTok is you just do it. You just get it out there. It doesn't have to be serious and perfect and planned. I love the authenticity that happens within the TikTok community. So then eventually I opened the PDF and I started, I made some of the comments. I had to ask the proofreader a couple of questions, which I was also scared to do. And then also she did a second reading for me after I had incorporated all the edits. And then I had to do the upload. And this was not as difficult as that other step, the proofreading step, but it certainly was difficult. I'm sure another week or two went by, probably even after I had uploaded the manuscript and gone through the electronic process where now I have to hit the button. Now I have to send it out into the world and it's going to exist. It's going to be printed. I'm going to order them. They're going to come here and people can buy it at any given time. I was up in my nighttime when it's the quiet time. I had everything all positioned, my laptop's on my lap. I'm procrastinating and doing as many other things as possible to avoid doing it. But then I had to just hit the button and I did. And the next thing I know, now I'm saying different things. I'm saying that I'm waiting for review. It didn't even get approved in the first round of review. I think that what will happen is you'll get an error message and it'll say, oh, you have to fix this page. And so I went in and fixed the page. Just chipping away at it though. Once it becomes a series of small steps that are less overwhelming, it's more possible. So it was a huge transformative moment for me. Now I have this book, I carry it around, I take it to people, I I give it away. I have it possible. Yes, you have a book. I, I love the book. I think it's I think it's something really special. But now it's out there. I get people who write to me that tell me about what their experience of it was like. And I also got some requests for people to assist them with it. And that's how I eventually developed a workshop that I'm working on. It's going to be a student leadership workshop. The first half of the day we'll be going through the personal values process, helping all of these students high school students and college students define their personal values and then in the afternoon we're going to go through the courageous leadership model where, where we're going to teach them what i think are the most essential skills for leaders which is inclusion empathy courage and purpose i've struggled along the way with self-doubt anxiety depression all different all different feelings that didn't diminish my skill and i don't think it's diminished what i've accomplished i have to practice saying that this is what I'm doing and I have to practice taking those steps. It's not easy and I probably never get it right the first time, but I'm making progress.
1: Wow, what a journey and thank you Robin for sharing all of these emotional turmoils as you were going through that process. I'm sure that the same emotional barriers are what a lot of people go through. So I'm curious, how were you able to come to realize that you were procrastinating because of these internal negative emotions that you were feeling? How did you come to that realization?
0: Therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Very helpful. I I knew all along that I I've gone through therapy for multiple years in my life. I went when I was in my young 20s, which was a really important experience for me. And when I decided to make this change, I think I started seeing a new therapist back in October. And I have another little toxic habit that I did, which was even when I was in kind of like the deepest part of the pit, I was avoiding going to therapy also because I wasn't ready to talk about it. I've been around the block a couple times. I've seen what these cycles can look like, and I can recognize when I'm having these long-ranging shifts in how I feel and what that is, that it's not going to last forever. One of the things that actually I went back and forth with my therapist on was, oh, is is there a structure that might work for me? Can I follow this set of rules or this set of practices? And actually, we worked on this together. That was the opposite of what I needed forcing myself into a box or a structure had scary feelings for me. I hate that feeling of being constricted, restricted. So trying to force myself, it was actually giving me sort of flashbacks because what I had spent my many years of my career doing was forcing myself into a box. Mm -hmm. And now that I had decided I don't want to force myself to be in that box anymore, trying to force myself into some of those structures It was triggering for me. So instead, what I said was, I'm going to embrace who I am. I'm going to figure out how to work with my natural rhythms and my natural abilities, my natural personality, who I am, what I have to offer. And so instead of trying to force yourself out of depression, which doesn't work, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give myself leniency now. And here's what's really funny. When I look back at it, when I first started, I made a plan, an eighteen month plan for how I was going to establish a new business. When I look back at the plan, I'm on track. I set these different months at different phases of the business for what would happen during those phases, the initial, you know brand creation, awareness creation, product development, et cetera, et cetera. I'm perfectly on track. So, even though I went through that difficult time, and even though I failed every single day at forcing myself to do some of these tasks to get over these hurdles, in the end, it didn't even matter. I was just tormenting myself because I had certain beliefs about what I had to do, what was the right thing to do, the only way. And that just wasn't the case. The case was that I could wait until I was ready. And when I was ready, I could have the courage to do it. So it was difficult and it wasn't just difficult from a, a skill perspective. Frankly, a lot of it was emotional to me. And I grew up thinking I wasn't an emotional person and unlearning that has also been one of the imperatives of my adult life.
1: Wow, I love all of these transformations that you were able to have in this whole journey. At some point, you were brave enough to create a TikTok channel, and now it has over 30,000 followers. Why do you think there's so much interest in your content?
0: I love being on TikTok because people are so eager to learn. And you can do it in a way that's not overwhelming. In TikTok, you can just decide what you want to engage with. If you're not interested in something, you can just swipe on by. And TikTok encourages a lot more realness than any of the other social media platforms that have kind of been big before, especially Instagram and also Facebook, which have been very, very posture I've loved doing the TikTok channel because I get to interact with people instantly. I have an idea about something I'm really experiencing or that someone I'm working with is really experiencing. And I sum it up, turn it into something that's 28 seconds long. And then I get to hear other people's versions of that experience. My story time videos have been pretty popular recently, and people will share their stories. And some of them, some of them are wonderful. And I'm so pleased to hear that they had a positive influence in their life or that they had something good that happened to them. People also share horror stories, things that I can't believe happened. I often will reply back and say, this really breaks my heart. And I mean that when I hear that somebody has an abusive boss or that they've been taken advantage of, or that they find out they've been underpaid for the last 10 years and that no one cared to actually do something about it, even though people knew behind the scenes that that was the case. I love the realness of it. It's a great platform because you can reach a lot of people, but it was not, like a hit off the bat I think it was at least a month if not two months before I had my first video that really kind of blew up and that was seen by more than 40 people and that was really a transformative moment because I got to see not only that a lot of people were interested in that particular topic and that they were interested in that format but they shared their comments they shared their stories they spoke to each other in the comments I got to interact in that way and that was great. I think we don't hear a certain type of voice in the world. We don't hear a voice that says certain things that have happened to you were wrong and you didn't deserve that. And I see you and I recognize that you have a lot of value. I respect you as a person just because you're a person, not because of the quote-unquote value you bring to the table or whatever else. One of the things that I've said a couple times on there is There doesn't need to be a reason to do the right thing. You can just choose to do the right thing. I've been in a lot of boardrooms where they discuss things like social responsibility programs, corporate programs like that. It always comes up this topic of, well, this will improve our image and we'll make more money after we do this. But if you look around at the brands that are really kind of connecting with people, brands like Tom's and Patagonia, they're authentic about that. They really care. And I think there's tremendous opportunity out there for people who want to do something meaningful and who don't regard profits as the end-all be-all of everything. And that's something that I've gotten to share on TikTok too. And it's, it's
1: nice to have those conversations. I do love the bad bosses stories that audience members share with you. Like you said, people don't get that acknowledgement that, hey, you had a really bad experience and you were right to feel bad about that. It's totally natural. So Robin, I wanted to see if there's anything else that you wanted to share or anything we haven't touched upon. One thing that comes to mind that we
0: didn't talk about is the idea of what I call the saying yes paradox. So I'm a very lucky person. I've had a lot of success in my career. And one of the ways that I've had that success is because I can see creative possibilities in everything. I said yes to everything. Remember, I talked at the beginning about stretching myself so thin. That's what's landed me in multiple burnout situations over the course of my career. Now I find myself in this sort of say yes paradox where that is how I became successful, but I don't want other people to have to go through the same things I went through in order to also be successful. So, this is why I think creating my own company has been so incredibly important because so many messages that we receive say you have to fit in. You have to fit into this harsh environment that takes advantage of people. And that's just the way it is. But it's not. That's maybe the way it is for some people, but it doesn't have to be. We can make this world into whatever we want. Yes, there are deeply entrenched systems that are. Really messed up and need to be deconstructed. And sometimes what I'm interested in doing is sidestepping that altogether and starting something from the ground up. Starting my own company has given me the opportunity to do that. And working with young professionals and students has also given me the opportunity to do that. So I like to be really open about that because I'm not going to tell you, don't do what I did, because certainly it has made me successful. I don't want to gatekeep that at all. But I do want people to feel like they're valid, that work-life balance is valid and important, that they were not put on this earth to be workers and to serve someone else, but that they have value, their perspective has value. If someone's not valuing them, that there are lots of other opportunities out there. You don't have to push yourself all the time. You can aim for just being at a point of stability that is right for you. You don't have to push yourself to work so, so, so hard. You don't have to fit into somebody else's box. You can make your own environment. Or if that's not right for you, you can just choose to feel a certain way about something. So there is more choice out there than people want to say. People, especially people in power, will tell you, they'll tell you, you have to go this way. You have to do this thing. You have to be professional. You have to follow our rules. Otherwise, you're not valuable but really all they can say is you're not valuable to them. And if that's what their values are, then those people aren't valuable to me.
1: My takeaway from what you shared is be kind to yourself because we have inherent values that may or may not sit into a corporate structure. But from your story, we're able to see that everyone can define their own paths and really align their careers And their pursuits, their creative pursuits towards those values. And I think that's what really comes through for me in this workbook. So Robin, for the audience members who want to find your book, where can they find the Be True to Yourself workbook?
0: Yeah. So it is on Amazon. It is available now. It's $12.95 and it is called Be True to Yourself, The Personal Values Workbook. You can also search for me, Robin L. Garrett. I have a website, which is RobinLGarrett.com. That's Robin with a Y. And then you can also check out the Beamably website. So that's Beamably.com. That's my company. Like I said, we have launched the book as our first product. There were so many people who helped with the book, who contributed in a variety of ways. It really is a bigger team than just me. And then we're launching our very first workshop. We are building a really amazing technology that's going to teach people lots of great personal values, skills, and leadership skills. And then if you want to follow along on TikTok, it's at
1: Courageous Leadership. Amazing. Thank you so much, Robin, for sharing your journey. And I could tell that it took tremendous courage to be able to transform your life from being at a safe corporate job to actually pursuing your own business where things are less defined, but are more fulfilling thank you so much for being an inspiration to folks around the world who may be going through a similar journey and similar turmoil. And it was really helpful for people to hear about how you were able to self-reflect, how you were able to overcome these internal barriers. So thank you so much, Robin. Thank you. It's been wonderful to chat with you. I'm just a person, right? Those people that
0: The share those struggles, they're inspiring to me too. Absolutely.
1: So thank you so much, Robin, for inspiring us in your journey. And thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who listened. You've been listening to Crazy Mighty Ladies. The music in this episode comes from Lemon Music Studio. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. And if you feel mighty, please leave us a review. You can also follow us at Crazy Mighty Ladies, all one word, on Instagram and TikTok.